The Athletic. Tony Football Show. As the country reels from a new viral menace of people retweeting the Keane versus Cara clip, we've got all the news from the Premier League weekend. From Man United holding Chelsea to a draw to the cancellation at Turf Moor, where the big points available were Sean Dyche's nipples. We hear what a Texan made of the trip to Burnley, what an Evertonian is expecting of the midweek Merseyside derby, and what the Brentford speaker was on after Ivan Tony's goal. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, Monday the 29th of November and another totally ready to roll uh, today with Daniel Story of the Eye. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning, James. Also with us, Lindsay Hooper of the Offside Rules Sky Sports and the Premier League. Good morning. And Matt Davis-Adams of the Totally Football League show and Matt Davis-Adams Limited. Yeah, looking forward to the the Matt Davis-Adams Limited Christmas party as ever this year. Just the one invite, but it's usually a good night. I can imagine. Do you treat yourself? Yeah. No, Lindsay, don't go there. <laughs> um, well, hey, uh, you, you were all out and about at the football uh, this weekend. Did you get much snow, Lindsay? Well, it was cold. I was at Brentford yesterday and I got there. As a two o'clock kickoff, you think, oh, it's not going to be too bad. But it was generally getting colder and colder. Then I looked at the TV screens and I saw Burnley and I thought, I'm not going to mm. even think about complaining right now. Yeah, if you didn't feel cold before you saw Sean Dyche, you certainly did <laughs> afterwards. Uh, Daniel, you went, where did you go? I went to Arsenal. All right, OK. Well, we'll hear all about all of that and so much more. Quick roundup of the headlines after what was round 13 of the season. Arsenal had a 2-0 win in front of Daniel there uh, against Newcastle. Liverpool, meanwhile, put four past Saints. Villa in Stephen Gerrard's second game in charge gave Crystal Palace their first home defeat of the season. 2-1. There were no goals at Norwich Wolves or at Brighton Leeds. Sunday, the blizzard hit big time. Burnley Spurs got snowed off. City beat West Ham 2-1. And again, that really was of two halves. Leicester welcomed Ranieri back, then beat his Watford 4-2. Brentford made it five defeats in six for Rafa's Everton, and they've got the derby next, of course. And at Stamford Bridge, Ollie's backroom staff signed off with a 1-1 draw against Chelsea. Chelsea now lead by just one point from Man City and two from Liverpool. Arsenal, who faced Man United midweek, are now just goal difference from the top four. While at the other end, Villa and Brentford, the only winners in the bottom half, they climbed to seven points off the drop. The bottom three are still Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle, who remain in last place, six points from safety. Crikey. Right, well, where to begin? Matt, you were at Stamford Bridge, of course, amidst all this excitement where it finished all square in the big clash and and before Carrot and King kicked off there was a football match too we'll start with that you're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network and here he goes at a vital time against Manchester United and he does the job and it's 1-1 at Stamford Bridge going into the last quarter of the game quite a moment there Jorginho burying his penalty spot ghosts and earning Chelsea a point Against Man United. Uh, well, so, Matt, you were there. Mm. First of all, did Man United do a Burnley? I think Chelsea did a Chelsea against Burnley rather rather than the other way around, to be honest. United just, just came to defend and, and you saw that with the lineup, and obviously Ronaldo didn't start and they had Matic, Fred and McTominay in midfield and McTominay a kind of auxiliary centre-back. But, but it was more about Chelsea shooting themselves in the foot and, and this kind of weird thing of either being feast or famine. You know, they had 24 shots at goal here and managed to score a penalty and that was it. And it was very, very similar to Burnley, but it's, it's difficult to be too critical when days before they put four past Juventus and last weekend they, mm. they'd beaten Leicester so convincingly. And I think actually that makes it more difficult for Thomas Tuchel to analyse what the problem is. Um, the natural reaction would be to say, well, when Romelu Lukaku comes back in from the start, then this problem will be solved to some extent. And I think Chelsea really missed Ben Chilwell on Sunday. And, and obviously Kante wasn't playing either. And, and normally Kante would be the player who stays back at a corner and might not be, as Thomas Tuchel um, so beautifully put it, disturbed by the lights in the way that Jorginho was when the ball dropped out of the sky um, to allow Sancho to score. So Chelsea's injuries, def- definitely mitigation for them. But yeah, they should have won this game three or four times over. If hudson Adoy scores in the first three minutes, as 
he should have done, then it would have been a totally different afternoon, I think. But I'd like to claim the assist for Jaden Sancho as well, because I tweeted at half-time how petrified he was looking and, mm. and what a shame it was. And five minutes later, he made me look even sillier than I am. Bingo. A lot of Premier League players will be applying to you for tweets at this <laughs> midweek, no doubt. That's glorious from Thomas Tuchel. That was his explanation for Jorginho's lapse. Yeah, disturbed by the lights. Right, okay. One of the phrases of the season, I think. But you, do, I mean, it's a good point you make. Kante and Chilwell, big, big absences for, uh, to, to say nothing of Lukaku, for Chelsea. As for United, Sancho's inclusion for the second time under Michael Carrick, once again, producing a goal assisted there, of course, by Jorginho's uh, light bedazzlement. What did you make of um, this performance from from United. Daniel, I know you were talking about uh, them under a newly promoted manager playing like a newly promoted club. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's a there's a theory that kind of going back to basics and being defensive in that way is is a, is the best way to avert crisis, particularly when you've been, you know, completely outplayed by the other two probable title challengers. But it's not a long-term solution. And, and, and Michael Carrick will say, well, I was only in charge for one game and I'd rather have drawn that game than lost it by trying to play expansive front foot football. But Manchester United came into this season as, as expected title challengers and we expected them to play exciting front foot football. So it was a kind of pretty big admission of, of where that club is at at the moment, that they did go and play so safety first, so you know, so risk averse and so deliberately defensive. I thought the, the, the one of the striking moments of the match for me was United have a free kick on halfway, have a chance to push players forward for a set piece with seven or eight minutes to go and they get a player booked for time-wasting at one all. It's not like they were defending a lead, they were defending a point. That is That seemed remarkable for me <laughs> for a Manchester United side. Mm, Duncan Alexander mentioning that 19 players had more shots in the Premier League this weekend than Man United did. Not teams, but players. Crikey. One of the major talking points was Michael Carrick's uh, decision to go with three defensive midfielders and no Ronaldo. Uh, Where did you stand on that? I think that Ronaldo and, and this whole business about him maybe not being as good a trainer as others and the example that it sets. And, and it, I thought it feels he was like... meant to be better than everyone else <laughs> as a trainer, No. I don't think it's the pressing, it's it? the pressing and the oh, running right. back that he gets a lot of criticism for, and I don't think mm. he does that in training either. Oh. And the example that it sets to others. But I, I from the beginning have said that there are a few players in world football, very few, less than one hand, that I think get a pass. Whatever happens, you know, they're at that age, that point in life where they just start, and everyone else knows they're saving them for the match. You could even bring Antonio right now into that because he he obviously has to be managed really, really well. But, you know, if you had Messi doing that, if you've got Ronaldo, if you've got Modric, maybe, those are the sorts of players at the point in their careers where they get a buy because of what they've achieved in their career. And I don't understand why he didn't play in this game from the beginning, I have to say. Um, Ronaldo can produce something out of nothing like we've seen. There isn't another United player that have scored more goals this season than Ronaldo. So in a game against Chelsea, he should be on for a minute one. I I didn't understand it. I'm sure he's frustrated. The fans are frustrated. And then there was this whole debate on Sky afterwards. I mean, we saw how heated it got between Roy Keane and and Jamie Carragher. Um, But I have to say, it's not many occasions, James, but I I was with Roy Keane on this one. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Daniel, Matt, where yeah, did I you think, stand? I mean, the idea, I suppose, is that he, they kind of, obviously, they wanted to be a bit, little bit more kind of energetic in the press in the final third. But it kind of, it felt like a bit of a half solution in that they didn't, they didn't really do that because they played with three defensive midfielders. So, you know, it's, every time Chelsea were able to pass beyond that, it was quite, it was quite simple for them to do that. So the press felt a little bit wasted. That kind of pressing is better if everyone's pushing high, whereas United were kind of doing two things. And I thought probably if that's how they were going to play, then you might as well have played Ronaldo. There was that chance in the first half where Sanji kind of kind of took it on his chest and it got away from him. And I thought, yeah, that's the sort of thing that Ronaldo would feast upon. But you, you know, you can't. It's difficult to criticize Michael Carrick because they would have taken a point before the game. Every Manchester mm. United fan would probably have taken a point before the game, and they got one. Um, I just think they were kind of obviously they were fortunate that Chelsea moved the ball a little slow and missed chances. But it's again exactly as their performance. It's not a long term solution. Ronaldo will have to start. You can't sign him on a two year deal and leave him on the bench every week. You, that, unfortunately, you make that call when you sign him. From a Chelsea point of view, Matt mentioned about, you know, Chilwell being absent, Kante. 
I thought Kante was the, the bigger miss of the two, Matt. And I think as well, it's Kovacic, isn't it? Not being available to step in. Jorginho did look isolated. I thought he was the player that that looked exposed in this game against Manchester United. And he really shouldn't have done because possession-wise, Chelsea still dominated him in the first 45 minutes. United hardly saw much of the ball at all. Um, but it, it does beg into question. I wondered about this because we talk about Chelsea's squad depth, Matt, but... Do you think that they do need some reinforcement in that area or is it just a case of getting Kovacic back? But that would be the one part of the field that I think from January onwards they would be looking at maybe. I think they'll be they'll be pretty content because obviously he's had quite a poor start, but they've got Saul who could come in there. I don't think Kovacic is too far away um, from coming back either. But it was a shame that Ruben Loftus-Cheek didn't really take the opportunity that was given to him. He doesn't often play as, as part of a two alongside Jorginho and he, he just looked a little bit inhibited during the game, which... Because he played so well when he came off the bench against Juventus, this was a chance for him to really grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And that was kind of a consistent theme for Chelsea in that those Cobham kids who'd done so well in midweek all kind of disappointed to an extent, really, even even put Rhys James um, into that. But but just back on, on Ronaldo briefly, I hmm. think that it was Michael Carrick doing Ralph Rangnick a favour because if Rangnick wants to not start him in a game, then he can say, well, he didn't start the last match either. And that makes it slightly more more palatable, perhaps. And, and maybe that's see. what Darren Fletcher was getting in his ear hmm. uh, on the touchline. My, Michael Carrick, keen to underline that this was not a Ralph Rangnick piloted uh, team selection at Stamford Bridge. Uh, presumably, the next game very much will be as Man United take on Arsenal at Old Trafford on Thursday. We've all had several days to become Ralph Rangnick experts and what what his arrival will mean uh, for Cristiano. One question uh, on the socials. Uh, If Ralph Rangnick is so amazing, why is he manager of sports development for Russian Premier League club Lokomotiv Moscow at the time of being hired by United? It's a fair one, isn't it? Well, I mean, mean, he's the best comparison, I suppose, is is Marcello Bielsa in that he is seen as this incredible influence over a number of coaches and for whatever reason has has either fallen out with certain clubs or not wanted to take jobs at certain clubs. So he, he likes that idea of a project and he likes to try something different. I, I read a, I can't remember who it was who tweeted it. It might have been Rob Draper, but there was a, a lovely line on Rangnick, which is that his, his greatest strength is that he's the most intelligent person in the room and his greatest weakness is that he generally knows it. So there's this kind of sense that I know what I'm Even doing. Even at Man United, do you think that'll be the case? <laughs> well, that, that that's the great challenge. That's why I'm really excited about it for Manchester United because knowing everything we do about them at the moment, this feels like a bit of a, a shot in the dark, kind of shot to nothing. But if they actually invest in it, mm. um, then it potentially does take them into a new age. The, the pure act of appointing someone like that in in a very influential role means that he will attempt to grab power away from people, maybe from those non-football experts. So that's that, that makes it really exciting for me. Whether it goes right or wrong, I think it's worth it. That is if they do listen, Daniel, like you say. Yeah. I mean, United haven't had a habit under new managers of listening to what they've got to say. And I think you take that up to another level. If you're talking he's the most intelligent man in the room when it comes to tactics, are they going to listen to it? Are they going to take it on board? We've not really seen a stretch of matches when a manager's come in where where we've seen consistency, have we, from United in that, mm. in that part? Raphael Honigstein, kind of breaking the news about uh, Rangnick on last Thursday's Totally Football Show, uh, suggesting that his impact at United might be similar to Tuchel's at Chelsea, which would certainly be quite a sight to see. First game in charge anyway will be against Arsenal, work permit permitting. Uh, Arsenal, who are now just, as I mentioned, goal difference are fourth. Recent games, though, do suggest that they come unstuck a bit when playing the big sides. Danny, you were there to see them face uh, Newcastle uh, this weekend, uh, Saturday lunchtime, in fact. Uh, what did you make of them? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's becoming easier and easier to define Arsenal as as better than the rest and worse than the best, as you say. And and this kind of completely proved it in that they're not perfect. They have times when they struggle in games, but the the age profile of that squad it just makes fans. You can tell in the Emirates that fans are far more patient than if they would have ever been. 18 months ago it doesn't matter that the manager's different it's or it's because of the age profile of that squad and you know this was I think this was Arsenal's youngest Premier League 11 uh, since May 2011 they've now Arteta's now picked the 10 youngest starting 11s in the Premier League this season so 
this isn't just a kind of throwaway line. This does feel more meaningful. You look at that team on Saturday, and Thomas Partey, I think, Partey and Aubameyang, they're the only players above 24 in the starting eleven. That's a really, really young team by Premier League standards, and it coincides with Arsenal being fifth in the league. So they will lose to Liverpool. They might lose to Manchester United. They got shelleped by Manchester City, but I think it doesn't feel defeatist to say that's okay as long as they're moving in a kind of generally in the right direction and that's what they did against Newcastle they were easily easily the better side they got frustrated they scored the goal and then you can see all the young players go right we can relax now because there's no panic on our hands Mm, and glorious second from uh, Gabriel Martinelli uh, just 93 seconds after coming off the bench Uh, Arsenal Arsenal Newcastle always go 4-4 muscle memory in that that's now seven straight victories against the Magpies Arsenal haven't conceded a single goal in that run crikey I think it's 18 of 19 wins for Arsenal against Newcastle, which is probably the most dominant in the Premier League, I think, in terms of club versus club records. Wow. Newcastle, by the way, are now the sixth different team to fail to win any of their 13 games in a Premier League season. Of the previous five sides to suffer that ignominious run, four of them have gone down. Derby survived in 2000-2001. Newcastle will be hosting Norwich on Tuesday. That's a big game. Mm. They got they got Burnley at home after that as well. So mm. a good opportunity there, isn't there, to pick up some points. Um, I thought it was... They had that penalty shout, didn't they, with, with Callum Wilson here, which I, I didn't think was one. It was interesting, Eddie Howe saying, oh, 50-50 calls, you know, they go against you when you come to big clubs. And I thought, but VAR's kind of ended that because surely some bloke in Stockley Park is not going to be influenced by the crowd at the Emirates. It just shows how long he's been away, doesn't it, Paul? Wow. Yeah. 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 And we should say, Alan, Alan Shearer said he didn't think it was a penalty. So when Alan is saying a Newcastle number nine doesn't deserve a penalty for a foul, it probably isn't a penalty. From an Arsenal perspective, Daniel, um, it's an interesting quandary now for Kieran Tierney. I don't think many fans would have thought that he'd be kept out of the squad, but Tavares doing so, I thought Lacongo was fantastic as well in this game. Um, are, are we seeing a bit of a shift in the starting eleven? Yeah, I'm surprised that Tierney didn't start. Poor Tavares. I mean, he has a party trick, which is trying to shoot from, trying to score from 30 yards and failing to do so, but never getting down on his luck, constantly trying it and. Uh, Tim Stillman, who, who tweeted at the weekend, Arsenal fans saying, you know, it's the first time ever at the Emirates he's heard the crowd shouting, don't shoot when a player picks up the ball from 30 <laughs> yards out. Uh, I was surprised that Tierney didn't start. I think Tavares is of that crop. He's the one that looks the most raw, which is is completely fair enough. He's playing at fullback and he's, he's young and he's new in the country. So I was quite surprised that Tierney didn't start. Yeah. Mm. Well, a big game coming up anyway for Arsenal Thursday at Old Trafford. Before that, the midweek brings the Merseyside Derby. Dial M for Merseyside Derby. Let's uh, talk about that next. Uh, It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line and today we're talking to Chelsea fan Dave. Hi, Dave. Yeah, uh, Lukaku looks to be back, but I'm concerned about his ankle injury. Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Of course it matters. What if the leg goes? Well, if one goes, that doesn't matter, does it? Hey? Yes, that's right, Mr Chelsea fan. If one leg of your bet builder lets you down, you can get your money back as a free bet. Party power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, Liverpool away at Everton on Wednesday night. Jurgen Klopp says he's not looking forward to it. Because it's too physical. Fair to say Everton probably aren't licking their lips too much either. Having been beaten for a fifth time in sixth this weekend. They've only had one win in the last ten. While opponents Liverpool were busy notching up this weekend. Another big win. 4-0 this time against Saints. They're a machine. They scored at least two goals in each of their last 17 games in all competitions. 
Uh, they scored 39 goals in the 13 Premier League matches so far. That's the highest goals total at this stage of a top flight campaign ever. And of the four top scorers in the Premier League right now, <laughs> three of them are Liverpool players. Crikey. Yeah, they feel like the antidote in the title race in that Chelsea and Manchester City seem intent, you know, either deliberately or through circumstance of kind of sharing out the goals between the teams. And I think City's top scorer's got four and Chelsea's top scorer's got Mattel no. Um, but yeah, um, Liverpool are just this relentless front three and they Diego Jota, I, I think probably is going to end up being the, the most important player for them this season because Sadio Mane and Mo Salah are off to the AFCON, assuming that happens. Assuming that happens. Um, and if they are missing for the, the eight games that is possible, then Diego Jota's got a lot of legwork to do over that mm. period of time because they're light on numbers. Matt, is it Reese James, Chelsea? Yes, I was thinking that's Reese James. Yeah, five and five, Reese James. Mm. Five goals, five assists. There's a whole bunch of players on, on four goals too. But uh, yeah, that, that Dan, Daniel's right. that It's going to be massive, isn't it? If Salah and Mane are out for for that amount of time, Liverpool will definitely be the team most affected by it. But in this game, I mean, it helped them massively that the opposition's manager picked the wrong formation, as, as he admitted afterwards. You know, It, it could, have been, could have been different because Adam Armstrong had a decent chance at... At 1-0, I've been desperately backing him to come good for Southampton, but it doesn't look like he's, Tweet more about he's it. going to get many. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to draft one right now. Adam Armstrong is rubbish. He will never rubbish. score again. Never. What All is right. this resistance from managers, like in this case with Hasenhutl, to change things within a first half? It's as if there's something in a rule book that gets given out at the start of the season that, you know, you've got to get to 45 minutes before you can really change anything. We hardly ever see. I mean, if this wasn't working, we could see 20 minutes in, couldn't we? Um, and and I I just get absolutely bemused by the fact that managers don't tactically change things earlier. Well, what I hope for Everton? Beaten Sunday 1-0 by promoted Brentford, who had failed to win any of their five previous Premier League matches. It's not a great look for the Toffees. But let's hear from our pal Matt Jones of the Blue Room podcast. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, no, no, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. You're such a positive person. You certainly were last time when Everton were having that honeymoon period under under Rafa Benitez, but things have taken a very different turn of late. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad are things right now, do you think? Um, it's difficult to put a number on it, really. I'd probably go about 3, 4, I'd say. Mm. And I, I can understand why there's a lot of focus on Benitez, obviously going into his first Merseyside derby and... He's going to be asked a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of songs sung about him, I imagine, from the Reds on, on Wednesday night. But I don't really think, when you're looking at Everton's problems, you can you can lay too much at, at his feet. There are there are wider issues that, that need to be taken into consideration. But he is going to be the man who's going to have to face up um, ahead of this game and during this game. Mm. Uh, Jurgen Klopp saying he's not looking forward to the derby. He doesn't like the fixtures, too physical and that kind of thing. Uh, could it actually be the best thing that Everton could have right now? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to sit here and, and say, yeah, but I think it's it, it's probably the, the, the total opposite of that, to be honest, because it's, um, as an Evertonian sitting here, and it, it's quite sad, to be honest, because for 18 months, I was sat watching games on the telly in empty stadiums and thinking, I can't wait to get back to Goodison Park. It's you know something I really miss, seeing friends, you know, sampling that atmosphere, and let's not forget that Everton haven't essentially got very long left at this stadium. And all of a sudden, back within three, four months of the season being up and running again, being back allowed in stadiums again, I'd rather be anywhere else in the world on, on Wednesday <laughs> night. You know, I'm speaking to, to friends and family, saying, has anyone got any dinner plans? Does anyone need any tidying up or moving I can help with? Um, it's <laughs> it's just one of them where it feels like we've got to sort of just grit our teeth and, and, and get through it. And it, it, it's going to be hard. And they're playing a really good side, first and foremost. Liverpool have obviously hit the stride and are absolutely flying at the moment. But Everton's issues are are tenfold. Um, there's the focus going to be on the managers, the potential for for the Reds, as they probably should do, to be fair, in, in, in a fix like this, to, to twist the knife. So it's um, there are fears that it could get really ugly and really toxic on Wednesday. And if it does, then a, a lot of it's going to be directed towards the manager, which I think is, is, is quite unfair, like I said, because I think that there are issues further afield at Everton that need to be addressed uh, long before we get to talking about Rafael Benitez and, and what he's been doing. What, what would those issues be, sorry, uh, Matt? Well, I think there's, there's a structure in place in the football club where you've got the owner in Farhad Mashiri who has, has pumped half a billion pounds in in terms of transfer fees over the course of his, his five-year tenure. 
and Everton have been left with a situation where they're playing Alex Awobi and Solomon Rondon up front at the weekend. Uh, they've got four injuries, of course, in, in, in key positions, but when you spend that much money, that that's not a position you should be in. They've had two goalkeepers on the bench for most games this season. Um, so you've got that. You've got a director of football in Marcel Brown who effectively does a, a bastardised version of the role. He's on the board. He doesn't seem to pick any players. No one really has a clue what he does. Bill Kenwright at the football club, but still, again, no one's quite sure what he does. And you've got a manager in Benitez who is renowned for wanting control over everything and wanting autonomy in, in regards to making decisions. And you know, I've read things this season where you know agents have said that if you want to sign a player from Everton, it's the only club where you've got to speak to three or four people before you find out if you can do a deal or not. It, it feels like there's, there's that sort of situation at the moment. So there are a, a lot of issues going on. And but Benitez is, you know, has he done a good job? He's, he's done okay. Would it be asked if he left the football club off the Merseyside derby? Not really. Do you think he's the right man for Everton? Probably not. But if I was going to rank Everton's issues from first down to, to ten, he would be he'll be pretty near the bottom of that list. I hear what you're saying, Matt, in terms of the injury list of late and all of those issues away from, from the pitch. But I was there at Brentford and this felt like it could have been a turning point of a game because you've got players coming back. Abdoulaye Decore back after six weeks out. He'd got his fractured foot, hadn't he? Damari Gray was on the bench despite having an injury midweek. And Rondon, I know not the best option, but you had an option up front and... It could have been something where where you started to see some synergy, but there was no synergy there. There was nothing. It felt like players were on different pages. And from that point of view, doesn't that stop with Rafa Benitez? I suppose it, it does, Lindsay. Yeah, it's it's difficult because I think I think when Benitez came in, as you do, you speak to fans of, of clubs of, of his, you know, his, his, fans of his uh, previous clubs, and the idea he sort of sold was that this fella's not going to be getting you playing really expansive attacking football, but you'll get you organised. If you've got injuries, you'll be able to muddle through you know, some tough periods for you and you'll get the odd big win. And I think that's where I've sort of felt a little bit let down by him because Everton certainly didn't look like an organised team in the first half yesterday. They looked like a rabble. You'll know yourself, Lindsay, in that game against Wolves a few weeks ago in the first half. It was utterly shambolic, the way in which Everton approached that football match. They conceded four goals in 12 minutes against Watford the, the game before that, when they only in 2-1 and ultimately lost 5-2. So so that's where I feel a little little bit let down. But it's, I, I think it's Everton have got to a point where the worst fears have, have ultimately been, been realised. It's going into the season, they knew they had issues in key parts of the squad. Um, and the, if they had injuries in key positions, then they were going to be left woefully, woefully short. You know, the, the gap between Dominic Carvalhoen and Salomon Rondon is absolutely enormous. The gap between Abdoulaye Decore and any other Everton midfielder is absolutely enormous. The same with Yerry Mina at centre-back. And all those players have been out. Um, and what they've been left with is is a bit of a rabble, to be honest. And, and people are going into this game. People are looking at Arsenal after Liverpool, Palace away, Chelsea away, Leicester at home going up to Christmas. And there's genuine concerns that Everton could be in a real relegation battle going into the new year. And that's 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 not a good place to be in um and like i said it's it's just, it's just sad and i've been watching um i've been watching the thick of it at the moment and that, that there's a quote from malcolm tucker that, that comes to mind when he says oh this is like the the short shank redemption but there's more tunnel than through and no redemption and that's, that's, what, <laughs> that, that, that's what it feels like we've ever said at the moment it feels like andy dufresne but we're just in that tunnel all the time and there's no river or no light at the end of it I'm just glad that you're a positive person, Matt. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, you try watching Everton for 30 odd years, Daniel, and, uh, and you'll be in the same boat. Matt Jones from the Blue Room. Well, Lindsay, you were there at the Brentford Community Stadium, aka a bus stop in Hounslow, for uh, a much needed win uh, for the Bees. A word on them? Yeah, I, I thought that they they were good. They showed a lot of character and pre-match, um, Thomas Frank was talking about wanting to see more bravery and getting a balance between the press, but also being more organised defensively. And I think he did get that. What I would say is that some of the players, some of their better players, weren't having their best day. And I'd target that at, at likes of Sergi Canos, whose delivery was awful, you know, from corners, from set pieces. He just wasn't at it. I've seen games where he's been really one of their key players. But for someone like Ivan Tony, um, who hadn't scored at home in the Premier League up until that penalty, I think that's a burden that's now off his shoulders. Um, and, and he was brilliant. I know that Thomas Frank had once described 
Tony as the best penalty taker in the world. And he he decided to reiterate that to me after the match. Uh, It is 13 out of 13 for him. It was very calm. And there's this element to an Ivan Tony penalty that I also do quite a bit with with David Seaman. And he always talks about the eye contact between mm. the goalkeeper and the striker. And you never see Tony take his eye off the keeper, do you? Just constantly looks ahead. So maybe that's the key to it all. Um, Lindsay, can I just ask, what's up with the, the stadium announcer at Brentford? Because when the goal went in, it sounded like he was having a misadventure of, of some description. Was he just trying to big up Ivan Tony? Christmas party or... for one, Matt. Yeah, quite. <laughs> Beautifully done. It's got a kind of wrestling vibe to it. Perhaps. Mince pies, I'm telling you, it's that time of year. That's what I think it was. <laughs> right. That's okay. why Matt likes it, wrestling. Yeah, wrestling. should have known. came to my attention, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, next up for Brentford, they are away at Spurs on Thursday. And, uh, ooh, Tottenham are our subject next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to that own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Purple Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Dallas to London to Burnley. Brackets. Almost there. 31 hours. No sleep. Fueled by coffee, cheese crackers and more coffee. Frigid temps and snow predicted for match day. The things we do when you love your club. A poignant tweet. Like reading those dinner menus from the night the Titanic went down. Uh, Posted, of course, just hours before discovering that said game was called off anyway uh, by uh, Ken Saxton, who with uh, his companion Brandy Saxton had travelled all the way from Dallas to Turf Moor. Uh, he joins us now on a train heading back from Burnley. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. So many questions. I'll leap straight in with the first one. What the hell were you thinking? Uh, you know what? I've been asked that more than a couple of times. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just one of these these deals where it, it fell uh, into the week where we could take vacation and, and, and come over here. Um, we are actually planning on doing Brentford and Norwich as well at the, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So uh, th- just the way that the days worked out when we arrived, we were able to, to take in an away day, and, and she had not been able to experience that yet, and I wanted to give that to her, uh, to Brandy. So, yeah, right. that's what we that's What, the what are our thoughts thinking. now? <laughs> <laughs> so is there any way you can stick around for the midweek action? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're we're in town through Monday next week, so uh, definitely going to be going to the Brentford and and I believe the Norwich matches as well. Okay, excellent. And and now uh, because because of the the way your tweet has gone viral, uh, you, you've actually been invited by Harry Kane to be his guest at uh, the next Spurs home game. 
Yeah. Um, you know, how amazing is that? It, 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 uh, I've told a couple of people, it just, it goes to show you that, you know, how gracious he is and, and, and such a great representative for the club to, to reach out to a supporter, you know, just, just because he saw a tweet or, or was shown something and, and offered something like that. True gentleman uh, and extremely humbled. Uh, by that there were you know again so many supporters that made this trip up here not just you know from dallas or, or wherever but just even to get up here from london in the in the conditions it was awful yeah, it was it was a mess mm. yesterday so you know just hoping and praying that everybody that drove back or or took a train back got it back safe and uh wish i could take all of them with me whatever whatever happens next that's a beautiful thought i just, just gonna say I, I hope harry kane doesn't read your timeline uh ken because he might have spotted that one or two kind of please somebody drop Harry Kane tweets from a little bit earlier this season. But we were all saying it at the time. Yeah, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people about that, actually. And it's one of those deals where, you know, based on all the rumor and speculation and, and regardless of the fact that he's one of the, the premier center forwards on the planet, right? If somebody wants to leave, you, you need them to go ahead and jettison off. So the club can move forward, and and you know it's always going to be about the club. For as much as we love our players, um, you know my wife distraught. You know she's a huge Harry Kane fan. So um, it, it, it's one of those things that as as performances started off at the beginning of the year, and that combined with all the speculation, and maybe you weren't seeing the effort that you thought you should be seeing from from one of the Premier League center forwards in the world, then. Uh, yeah, you get frustrated, especially when results start not going your way and then you're just looking for any little reason to, to vent <laughs> on social mm. media. Sometimes you need that, that moment when you almost step away to come back even stronger together. And that, that's the hope, of course, under Antonio Conte. Just out of interest, how many times have you made the trip across from Dallas to watch Spurs? So this is my fifth trip to London, uh, fourth that I'm actually being able to take in, take in Tottenham. So... Uh, first match was back in 2015, uh, away to Stoke, in fact, and then uh, the last match of the season against Hull. If, if... <laughs> have you not? Have you not heard Ken about the <laughs> Tuesday nights in Stoke? <laughs> you know what? And it was brutal because we lost that no three. It was it was awful. Um, and then the following week, we saw the last match of the season against Hull. If anybody remembers Danny Rose with the red hair, uh, that wow. was that match. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I've seen that um, Olympiacos Champions League match a couple of years ago. So yeah, I've t- taken in about four or five matches since we've been here. For for someone coming from Dallas, what's the weirdest thing in terms of kind of culture clash about visiting? the Britannia Stadium or, or Burnley or any of these places? Um, you know, it's honestly, it's one of those deals where it's never as bad as what you're being told it's going to be. Um, we had the opportunity to get up early yesterday before we made our way over to the pub and walked around some of the neighborhoods in Burnley and it was actually quite pleasant and it was very nice and, you know, some of the narrative I was getting from people was, you know, don't walk under a bridge, you're not going to come back with your head type of thing. Uh, that it was, you know, very rough and very rough and tumble type of place, um, you know, that, yeah, that, that you're going to be visiting, right? So it was, it was just one of those deals. Ken, will you be recounting your experiences as well on the Spurs Asylum podcast that you host? Yeah, yeah, I plan on doing that for sure. Um, you know, how can you not? It's... Uh, been a long kind of you know twisting and turning six seven years that I've been doing the podcasting uh, based around Tottenham so uh, over in North America so I've been lucky enough to have some fortunate uh, or very you know fortunate to have some guests on uh, from the club and 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 writers and and whatnot that have um, waxed lyrical about about Tottenham so uh, yeah definitely plan on doing some accounts there as well brilliant get some celebrity guests on as well now now that you're in with with Harry and, and, and the rest. <laughs> I don't know about how far that will go, but uh, it's certainly very surreal. And, and again, I feel extremely blessed uh, just to have the opportunity to, to possibly speak to him today. Brilliant. And still to have your head after wandering under Bristol. Yeah, and, wandering and around Burnley. Burnley. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, listen, we salute your intrepidness and have a wonderful trip. And uh, hopefully, I don't know, maybe cross paths with you again uh, sometime soon. I hope so. Uh, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been forewarned that Thursday... I will not be buying a beer for myself as soon as I walk into that stadium. So, um, again, I, I'm looking forward to, to meeting more people and developing some more relationships. So uh, I have all the more reason to come back over every couple of years. If you ever go to Wolves away, Ken, please don't go anywhere near the underpass. <laughs> Noted. I got a feeling it's not quite as bad as what you're telling me. <laughs> 
Ken of Ken and Brandy Saxton and Spurs Asylum. Excellent. Very good. Uh, looking forward to see what Spurs get up to against Brentford on Thursday. Uh, also coming up midweek, as mentioned on Tuesday, there's Newcastle against Norwich. Leeds taking on Crystal Palace that same day. Wednesday, Southampton are hosting Leicester. Ooh, 9-0 mention opportunity, Claxon. Uh, Wolves are up against Burnley. Watford face Chelsea. West Ham get a visit from Brighton. Everton have Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. And it's Villa Man City. Then on Thursday, it's Spurs Day as they take on Brentford. And Man United are up against Arsenal. Villa Man City, though, eh? Villa Man City. Can Steven Gerrard make it three for three? This weekend, he became the first visiting manager to win at Palace. Palace, the last side to win against City. So, logically... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to this one and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because we talk about a kind of a new manager bounce in terms of the team all kind of being re-energised, but there's been a real, a genuinely impressive re- improvement in a number of players under Gerard already. Jacob Ramsey looked like he's kicking on. He, he started the season really fast and then kind of dipped off as Villa did. Marvellous Nakambu was amazing at the weekend. He's, he's turned into a, a, a kind of genuinely excellent central midfielder under Gerrard so quickly. Tyrone Mings looks happier, I think. I think he needed a, a change of mood at the club. So, yeah, they they, they do look really good. They, they, they slightly rode their luck against Brighton, I suppose, but they scored late goals against Brighton. They scored early goal to kind of kill off the game against Palace. They're, yeah, they're looking pretty smart, I have to say. So impressive, Daniel, that did you see the slip-up that the BBC made um, mm. underneath Stephen Gerrard, Liverpool manager? Oh, no. It's going so yeah. well. I like, I like the way Gerrard's kind of, he's sticking to his party line of like, of course I'm not interested in that. Like, of course it's not about the Liverpool job. Like, you're, not, you're not fooling anyone, Stephen. Uh, Daniel, among the players improved by Stephen Gerrard's uh, arrival, would you include John McGinn? John McGinn is... It's a kind of you know what you're going to get sort of player. I think he he looks he instantly looks a lot better when the team around him is performing well because it allows his kind of tenacity and tirelessness to it, it, the team builds things off that. I think at times when the team's struggling, it's just McGinn running around and then nothing really happens and it makes him look a bit kind of I don't know haphazard. But in a in a team that works, I think he is one of the most underrated central midfielders in the Premier League. I think he's great. Excellent. Well, a tough run of games coming up for Villa. Uh, They've got Manchester City, then Leicester City, and then Liverpool in the next fortnight. Crikey. Manchester City, first of all, a Manchester City team who Sunday afternoon beat West Ham 2-1. I called this a a game of two halves earlier on, and that was largely because the the way that the, the, the pitch looked completely wide out with a kind of invisible ball in the first half and then all of a sudden like a normal football match in the second uh, Pep calling the groundskeepers the man of the match the persons of the match probably groundskeepers is a term I've not heard for a long time without Willie on the end of it so that that was nice to hear but um, I kind of preferred the snowy pitch in the first half this Did is you? this yeah this, this is kind of quite a quite a, a boring thing to say but this and the Leicester <laughs> Don't let game, us stop you, Matt. No, yeah. It's, I mean, I built a career on it, Daniel, so we're not going to stop now. Um, the ball, I couldn't yep. see the ball. Is no. that not a problem? That like the, the ball that we bring out for winter ought to be visible in all conditions? Yeah, more so in the Leicester game, I felt, mm. when it genuinely was a spot-the-ball competition, but actually live. Very strange. Not not a great not a great day for Nike, I would suppose. It'd be interesting to see mm. if they change that, though, because, I mean, that, that Leicester game, to me, it almost looked like they shouldn't have carried on playing because... right. We literally couldn't see the ball, which is quite an important might be component a, of the match. I think it might be a TV. I think it might be a TV thing. Weirdly, and I, th- I know a few people that were at Leicester game who who didn't have that issue at all. So I wonder if it's something just about the TV stuff. All right. Well, hopefully so. Uh, not like the viewers aren't important though. Five wins in a row in all competitions for City now, uh, following that earlier defeat to Palace, and two defeats in a row for West Ham. Yeah, that was probably the more more pertinent thing to come from it because it was just a textbook Man City performance and win, wasn't it? They were playing against the against the elements in the first half, but it didn't seem to to bother them at all. And West Ham, you just wonder if this is the point where the the lack of squad depth catches up with them. The, the no alternative to Antonio, the absence of of Bonner, uh, etc. And, and they've got a tricky run of fixtures coming up too, and it's going to be all about this balance, isn't it, between Europe and and the Premier League for them. 
Yeah, they, David Moyes, his big weakness as a manager is results away at big six teams. I think since he's gone back to West Ham, he's taken two points out of a possible 36 or something. And it was also the issue at Everton. I mean, he, he has been at clubs that have lower budgets than those teams. So it's not, you know, I'm not trying to damn him, but that is the difference between West Ham making a top four challenge and, and not, I think. Next for City as well, it's Villa, isn't it? So we can have that that debate as to whether Jack Grealish will celebrate yeah. if he gets an assist oh, or scores. God. Will he go? Mm. I forgot I was at that pantomime. Yeah, that's right. a shame. that's where you're going midweek, Daniel. Yes, yes, indeed. Right. Yeah. Jack All in right. the something stalk doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Make it work, Daniel. You you got a few days now. A couple of goalless draws elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend at Brighton with Leeds and Norwich against Wolves and a big win in very difficult conditions for Leicester at home to Watford. Uh, Watford, six games under Claudio Ranieri, have featured 25 goals. That's over four goals a game. Madison here, James Madison, uh, kicking off uh, proceedings. Uh, Daniel, you'd actually written about him before this, based on the, the Thursday night performance in the Europa League. Yeah, I, I, he scored and he was so... I don't think I've ever seen a player so obviously relieved to have scored a goal. I mean, he hadn't scored at home since February, I think. And the problem with Madison is when he's not in good form or he's searching for it, he tries to do far too much. He just tries to take on an extra man or tries to shoot from distance. And you saw, I think, on Sunday, suddenly he gets a goal and he looks confident again. And he's playing passes, quick passes in, he's giving and going, he's setting up goals for Jamie Vardy, so... That has to be a good thing. But yeah, I mean, Watford are, uh, they're a bonkers team. They're, huh. they're brilliant one week and then you can't, they look like they've never met each other in defence the next week. They are mad. If we are to believe that defences win titles, when you've got a couple of teams that can't keep a clean sheet, is that is that resigning them to relegation already? So you've got Watford and Newcastle, haven't you? So those two teams that not able to keep a clean sheet this season. How are Watford in the table, Matt? Uh, well, they're four points clear of the relegation zone, um, but Burnley have got a game in hand. Burnley on nine, having only played 12 because of yesterday's game being mm. cancelled. And Watford obviously got Chelsea on uh, Wednesday, which would not be an easy game for them. I did quite enjoy elements of the post-match of this. Obviously, love the game being played in snow, but James Madison in his sharp suit correcting the Match of the Day interviewer on his stats was fun. But also, Brendan Rodgers blaming the reaction of supporters to his team on the pandemic was a curveball, mm. um, which felt very, very Brendan. Um, but yeah, not quite sure that I was joining the dots with this point on that one. All right, well, uh, Jamie Vardy uh, getting a brace again after his recent uh, scoring drought. Uh, Leicester getting their mojo back and they've got Saints away next. Just saying, yeah, Saints-Leicester. All right. Uh, Norwich... Nil, Wolves nil. Lindsay, you went all the way to Carroll Road oh, for that. What did you I bring did. home? Well, not even some banana cake because that had all gone um, by the time Is I got Is that a thing? The... Oh, yeah. yeah. Delia Smith must have the best ah. banana cake recipe because they put the cake out and right. it goes within five minutes. Hence why I missed it, James. Ah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty awful all round. I mean, Norwich were the better team. They created more chances, but they just cannot finish. And yeah, Wolves, I, I I don't really know from a consistency point of view. You look at their recent record and you can't really say that much because they're they're still six in the table. Um, but it, was, it wasn't a good performance. Mm. Next six weeks, though, look like they're going to be interesting from a Wolves perspective, eh, Daniel? Yeah, they've got they've got everyone that's everyone, basically. And, and yeah, I, I feel a bit for Bruno Large because... He, there are some kind of murmurings of discontent, which is, as Lindsay says, is absolutely really? mad when they're sixth in the table. But they are also, I think, sort of, well, they six points off 16th or something because the Premier League's so bunched up and they do have that really difficult run. And that is where Nuno got, you know, kind of earned his spurs as a, literally in the end, as a, as a Wolves manager. Um, by mad, by beating. Though. Yeah, I mean, they beat... Who man- are these people... Who are these pandemic-addled people complaining about <laughs> Bruno Lage? I, I, my, my theory is is that since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left, there's just no obvious he's the least competent manager in the league anymore. The, the mm. Premier League, the managers are almost too good. So you've got Brighton fans booing Graham Potter, even though he's probably the best manager they've had. Mm. You've got Wolves fans a little bit discontented about, about Lage and their sixth in the league. It's just, I think, 
nobody really knows who the worst manager in the league is anymore. I'd argue that the three managers in the league for which the jury is still out are probably Dean Smith, Steven Gerrard and Eddie Howe, and they're the last three appointed by clubs. So it's, it's a really odd situation. Not a bad impact for Dean Smith, though, at Norwich. NCFC numbers uh, posting on Twitter that they restricted Wolves to just five shots, which is the lowest number of attempts on their goal that the Canaries have faced in any of their 241 Premier League games this century. Incredible. All right. Uh, you mentioned Graham Potter at, at Brighton and nil-nil with Leeds, making it nine games without a win now for Seagulls, who clearly need some regime change down there at the Amex. Uh, Graham getting a little bit upset about this. He was kind of visibly put out yeah. at the, the fact that there was dissent. Yeah, he was. He kind of said, uh, maybe I need a history lesson, implying that maybe I'd forgotten when Brighton were eighth in the Premier League before and... Yada yada, and I mean they are on a, a sticky run, but mm. um, and and it should be said a lot of that frustration post game is, you know, a boo is a boo is a boo, and it's quite hard to interpret it. But a lot of that was surely about Neil Mopé's finishing and the. General... I was going to say, was the booing at Mopé? I, I think it was a oh my god, why can't we learn just to finish our chances or buy a striker? Buy a striker, um, yeah. But obviously Potter hears those boos and thinks, well, implicit in that is that you are booing me as well. And he, he was he was really, really angry after it. Normally managers just kind of say, you know, they have every right, which he did say, mm. uh, but, you know, we'll have to improve and blah, blah, blah. But he actually, he really did go for them. In terms of history lessons, uh, the Athletics Brighton correspondent Andy Naylor pointing out that 11 years ago on Saturday, uh, Brighton were in League One and were drawing 1-1 with non-league FC United of Manchester in the FA Cup. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I dare say he's regretting that this morning, though, Graham Potter, if he had his time again, he, he probably wouldn't have made those comments because it, it's a hiding to nothing, isn't it? What, mm. what are you mm. hoping to get out of that? It never, and, ever and I'm going to well. dredge it all up again because I've got the press conference. So <laughs> I'm going to make sure I ask about it. Brighton have a trip to West Ham on Wednesday. Hmm. All right. You mentioned those those managers, James and, and mm. Daniel, saying that there's, there's no kind of standout chump at the moment. I wonder, uh, he's obviously not a chump, but how much pressure is Marcelo Bielsa going to come under? Because his team selections have been really weird um, and they don't look like they can buy a goal particularly at the moment and they're only a place above the relegation zone. He's, yeah. he's, he's never been at a club this long, has he? So you just kind of wonder if, the need, if there's a plan B there because what he's doing at the moment really doesn't seem to be working. Indeed not. All right, well, action coming thick and fast through the next few days. Uh, very shortly here on the Totally Football Show, we'll be touching on all sorts of other things, including... That World Cup playoff draw. Uh, first of all, though, here's some odds with Carl Monaghan of Paddy Power and producer Charlie. Thank you, James. Let's get down to business. It's the Premier League. It's pretty much non-stop now until the new year. The football's coming at you relentlessly. It's like being hit in the head repeatedly with a uh, football. Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power is here trying to stay on top of the odds. A couple of huge games on Wednesday, Carl. A Stevie G takes on Pepe G. Villa v Man City. What a scalp this could be for Gerard. Well, Stephen Gerrard really is in the big time now, Charlie. Rubbing managerial shoulders with the likes of Pep Gordiola. Wow. Big ass, Charlie, to beat Pep in what would be only your third ever Premier League game as manager. But football can often be daft. Stevie G has enjoyed a fairy tale start to his tenure at Villa Charlie with two wins from two. The most recent, a hard 4 2 1 win at Crystal Palace. Now, Man City in the past week beat PSG in the Champions League and West Ham in the Premier League without the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Jack Grealish Charlie. So that really is depth and just shows you the quality that Pep has at his disposal. So it may well be a welcome to the Premier League pal experience. For Stevie G and his Villa side this week, the villains are priced up at 15 to 2, Charlie. The draw is 4 to 1, and the Man City win is odds on at 1 to 3. And then a game that Gerard would probably be watching if he wasn't coaching 100 miles away the Merseyside Derby. I'm sure most Liverpool fans can't imagine losing to Rafa Benitez's Everton, Carl. What are the odds they have to face that reality? Well, Charlie, ever since Rafa Benitez took the reins at the Toffees, the idea of him leading at the blue half of Merseyside against Klopp's Reds. Was an interesting thought. They say form doesn't matter when it comes to derbies, Charlie, but you'd have to be nervous for Rafa's toppies on Wednesday night. They lost to Brentford at the weekend in what was their fifth loss in six games. 
And what would a hammering from the red half of Liverpool mean for under pressure Rafa Benitez, the Spaniard who needs to get a tune out of his players quickly, has become the favourite at 6-4, Charlie, to be the next Premier League manager to walk the plank. In terms of the match betting, Everton are a massive 6-1, to one, the draw is 15-4, and Liverpool, who are in red-hot form, are odds on a 4-11 to 11 to win it. Jota, Mane and Sana are all in cracking form, Charlie, but if it were me, I'd have to have a look at the Portuguese forward Jota for the first goal at 4-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League show is out on Monday with you, Matt. Are you doing that straight after this? Pretty much, yeah. It's a, it's a three-podcast Monday because we've also done the non-award-winning Chelsea show straight out of Cobham from your friends at The Athletic too. Um, and I can link that into the Totally Football League show because Danny Drinkwater scored a goal yeah. this weekend for Reading. But more surprisingly, did you see the Andy Carroll goal, by the way? Because it was no. absolutely amazing. What does it look Brilliant like? touch on halfway, ball over the top. Brilliant touch from him. Beats... Holds off maybe three or four defenders, runs 50 yards and then brilliant finish into the bottom corner. And then it being Andy Carroll, he went off injured shortly afterwards. But uh, yeah, it was it was up there with the best goals he's ever scored. I think it was um, really good. It reminded me of that Kante goal against Leicester, really, apart from the fact that somehow he managed to be five yards ahead of the last man without being offside, which (laughs) for Andy Carroll is a a good effort. Mm. Excellent. All right. Among the other topics uh, that will no doubt be on your agenda, Chris Wilder getting his first win as Middlesbrough uh, manager. Also available uh, for your podcast listening is the Totally Football Show European edition. That'll be uh, from first thing on Tuesday, discussing a bad week for the old lady on and off the uh, pitch. A good one for young Erling Haaland, who's finally back from injury and that World Cup playoff draw. Let's get some reaction to that now because it was huge. The draw taking place Friday afternoon, as you're no doubt aware. Twelve European nations go into this playoff system. Only three will come out the other side after six one-legged semi-finals and three one-legged finals. We can have Scotland and we might have Wales, but we can't have both. And the same goes for Portugal and Italy. Those would be the big headlines from the draw. Mm, I did enjoy um, this kind of an area of reaction probably large on social media it's kind of this is disgraceful you know Italy and Portugal are both brilliant they should be at the World Cup Europe needs more places and I kind of I wonder what the middle of the Venn diagram in between people that are doing that and people that hated the European Super League so if we cannot decide we cannot manufacture which teams get into tournaments but also I do want Italy and Portugal at a World Cup if you could sort that out so I'm all for it I think it'd be brilliant this this World Cup playoffs is kind of inadvertently become a really, really exciting, good progression because the the World Cup draw with just two going through straight away was always a bit, left a lot of dead rubbers. This is great. Mm. Scotland will host Ukraine. If they get through that and Wales get past Austria, then those two teams will face each other with Wales, the home side. Scotland haven't played at a World Cup since 1998. Wales haven't qualified since 1958. Portugal and Italy, meanwhile, Portugal will be first of all playing Turkey while Italy take on North Macedonia. And Goran Pandev has now retired. And then it will be Portugal at home if those two, well, if they make it through against uh, either Italy or North Macedonia. The other path being Russia against Poland and Sweden against the Czech Republic. Crikey, those semis and finals will be played from March the 24th to March the 29th. Excellent. No such worries for Serena Wegman's uh, England women team. They had their fifth win out of five in World Cup qualifying and looking good for the tournament in 2023. Latest victory coming 1-0 against Austria on Saturday. Yeah, and it was... It's kind of two ways of looking at this. Firstly, it was nice that the game was was reasonably competitive because they've scored, I think, 24 goals in the last three games, two 10-0s and a 4-0. Um, but they were really wasteful. They should have won by three or four goals. They had, I, I guess they had more than 20 shots. They were pretty dominant and, yeah, only won 1-0. Um, but... There is, I think there is a sense that the players are now getting to grips with life under the new manager and that they're kind of buying into that. But that that qualifying group just ma- does make things very easy for them. They've scored 33 goals in five games and they haven't conceded. And it's a huge step up from that to, to major tournament football. Well, Lindsay, you'll be discussing that in the Women's Football Podcast from The Athletic. And that's out on Tuesday as well. 
It is. So join us for that. Lots to get through as well because there's Conti Cup, FA Cup matches. I'm sure we'll start to look ahead as well to the FA Cup final next weekend. Oh, yeah. Arsenal-Chelsea. Mm, excellent. All right, very good. That, that wraps it up for today's Tootly Football Show. So many, many thanks. Uh, do hope you'll join us for some of the other delights heading your way this week. And then, of course, totally returned on Thursday with a reaction to most of those midweek games. Wrap up warm and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.